Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and this is a show where I get to have conversations with people in sports and business and everything that happens in between. And today I have my good friend Devin Hurt. He's the co-founder and CEO of Prediction Strike, formerly working with the NBA and Nike. And uh, oh, by the way, graduated from Harvard. Devin, how you doing today, man? I'm good. Hi, everyone. Michael, thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. Pleasure's all mine, brother. I get to ask you a bunch of questions. So if the, the name Prediction Strike sounds a little familiar to some of our listeners out there, I got to interview Brad Chabra, if I'm saying his last name right. I'm sure I butchered it a couple times during the interview. But I got to interview him uh, a few months back. He is the other co-founder to Prediction Strike. They're doing a lot of cool stuff. And I spoke with Brad, and he said, well, during this pandemic, we really can't do too much because sports aren't going on, so this athlete stock market thing doesn't quite work as well if it, and nothing's happening. Uh, but I'm very grateful. Devin's on. Obviously, we have the NBA back. As we were just saying, the NFL is coming back in only, I think, six more weeks, something like that, which is just crazy, but I'm so excited. So we'll get into that for a little bit. But I do want to talk to Devin about his career path and what he's done because I think it's very important for people to understand just because you're not an athlete, just because you're not in ticket sales doesn't mean you can't work in sports in some capacity. So uh, very excited about that. But Devin, the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Wow. Uh, loaded question, but I mean, it's just fun, right? At the end of the day, like I grew up playing sports as I think a lot to most kids did. And it's a way to it became a way to have fun with my friends, have fun with my family. It's And it's really stayed that. Uh, we play casual games all the time and we watch pro sports. I mean, all the time, if you look at the NBA schedule right now, it's, it's kind of world cup style. We have, uh, I'm in Oregon right now. So we have games starting at 10 30 in the morning. All of a sudden it is wild. It's fun. And I know it's cliche, but sports really do bring people together. It's true, man. I mean, it's funny, you know, the competition brings people together. It's kind of funny, you know, that division also brings us together, which I think is really important. And yeah, man, I I've been enjoying, it. I mean, as we're recording here on, August, what, 3rd? There's currently a hockey game on right now, an NBA game about to start in 30 minutes. So we'll speed this thing up so you can throw your TV on in the background. But um, no, man, I'm excited. And yeah, it's I'm just so grateful to have sports back. I'm a huge MLB fan. So, you know, I'll take the three weeks that it looks like we're probably going to get of it. I don't know how much longer it's going to last, but it has been absolutely fantastic. So the one thing I, I did just want to touch upon again, graduated from Harvard. I think I've spoken to a couple people that have graduated from Harvard. Obviously, I'm literally 20 minutes from Princeton's campus. Been there. Absolutely gorgeous. Love it. Looks like Hogwarts the whole nine. But what is Harvard like? Like, I, I, I don't I've never been able to conceptualize like what going to school at one of these, you know, you know, five, six, seven major Ivy League schools that is known around the world. I mean, does that kind of like get you going when someone reminds you like, oh, yeah, I graduated from Harvard. Not that bad. Not that bad. Um I mean, first of all, right, I, I do have to look at it as it's a blessing and an incredible opportunity to, to go to Harvard to graduate. What is it like? I mean, it's hard to compare it to other colleges because mm -hmm. I don't really know. But um, there's definitely, of course, a large focus on academics. But at the same time, you do get all those normal college elements that people think about. Like we, we had the, the clubs. We had there was there were sports, people who watch sports. You had all the sports teams. Um, there were parties. It's very much like there are just normal college elements at the mm -hmm. same time. Uh, and one thing that I think myself and most Harvard graduates hi highlight is the people. Uh, people are incredible. Everyone is so accomplished at either one thing or multiple things. And you can learn so much from just about everyone you meet. And it's I think that is the most incredible part about it. You get all of a sudden just placed around all these people where – 
whether you're doing problem sets at four in the morning or just in the dining hall, uh, either you can, your conversation can either be just the most casual thing, like, oh, is the MLB actually going to play this year? All the way to, I don't know, you're learning something about quantum physics. And I think that's the best part about it. That is pretty cool, man. I mean, being around other highly motivated people, I think, is is just an acceleration to that motivation, right? And then the, the competition then comes involved. I know you owned a business during college, too, for a little bit, which is pretty mm-hmm. interesting. And I'm sure you're not the only person at Harvard that was running a business while at school there. So, yeah. again, being around other people like that really starts to get that snowball to roll down the hill a little quicker. And, and talking to people and sharing those ideas, again, as you said, is it's a pretty interesting place to be so after harvard you uh graduated there i'm sure you did great don't really think honestly if you just graduate from harvard i think you get a job i don't think the GPA <laughs> part matters but that's that's another conversation but your first job out of school it looks like you were cybersecurity research at the nba mm-hmm. what the hell is cybersecurity research at the nba what yes. are you doing there dude that sounds nuts so it actually started towards the end of the very end of college um, okay. and it ran kind of towards the i took uh, some months off in the summer before starting real work and that's how it started. So basically, the MBA formed a partnership with Harvard, specifically the Harvard Kennedy School, which is our graduate school of government. So they basically, the MBA came and said, look, uh, we need some people to research cybersecurity. Uh, you have smart people here, uh, people who also probably like sports. Is there anyone? Uh, a professor, Professor Solomai, was kind enough to recommend me. Uh, I got in touch with the MBA. We eventually just worked it out, and I started researching for them. So what does that actually mean? Um, the NBA really wants to re- research their cybersecurity policies, specifically just around the stadiums and the stadium security. Uh, as you can imagine, there there have been just a ton, a ton of cyber attacks just at kind of all levels of business operations. So the focus of this was really what happens if there were to be some sort of cyber attack or some sort of cybersecurity incident around the physical space where you have the fans, the athletes, what does that look like? What are the ramifications of it? And how can we stop it? That's really, I mean, and so in how do you go about researching something that, I'm assuming it's happened somewhere around the world at some point in time, but the fact that, you know, technology is always getting better and people are always having to be five, six, seven, eight, seven steps, uh, steps ahead. How, like, how, what exactly do you research? I feel like that's not a quick Google search, right? Like, I don't think it's not something you could just be like, so what do I do in this situation? Like, what the heck does that even look like? It's not. A lot of it is finding trends uh, because you're never going to get everything right. Exactly. Like, especially if you look at a stadium. Uh, someone builds a stadium this this year. The next team builds a stadium next year. They're going to have different things. Some of those features are going to overlap, et cetera, et cetera. So you start to look at trends and you start to look at best practices. So just what are some general things that you should be thinking about? Who are some people you can also go to and ask as you add these features and make sure that they know who to go to and ask. Uh, and sometimes that Sometimes that might be the team's in-house cybersecurity. That might be, depending on the team ownership structure, it might be uh, the arena itself. It might be an outside uh, cybersecurity agency, just depending on who it is, but making sure that they know the things they should be thinking about before they just throw a bunch of technology in a big building where Mm -hmm. there's, I don't know, 10,000 people and multi-billion dollars worth of operations. Yeah, man. I mean, that's just that sounds intense and it sounds really interesting. I'm sure you know some stuff that you're not allowed to tell us um, and I keep it that way. But it makes this conversation a little more interesting because now I'm going to try and pull some of it out of you maybe a little bit later on. But I just think it's really I think it's I'm sure you're locked up. I'm sure you're good. I'm not too worried, but I'm sure it's just so much just 
does it that cyber you know one thing about kind of being that deep does that ever worry you more you, you know what i mean like mm-hmm. you know th- you know way more than everybody else so you probably see a lot of the negatives because that's what you're trying to prevent against and obviously if anything ever came out it's quickly gone to social media or just the media in general so is that i mean this wasn't supposed to be a part of the conversation but like is that something that ever kind of you know working in cybersecurity so long makes you kind of weary about some of this technology that we have oh most definitely um i think people who would do work in some sort of security function or cybersecurity building security, national security, they will <laughs> tell you they're a little bit more paranoid about things. Uh, and it does. It's I see a lot of the bad things that happen. I see a lot of the bad things that could have happened, but for kind of whatever, whatever. And so I've tried to be very cautious in my life with just technology that's used. But it's it's definitely concerning when you when you look around and see just all of the technologies that are adopted and the speed at which they are. Without a lot of times, we just don't know what's what's going to happen. I mean, sometimes it might be your data, which is of course bad and very private. But sometimes it might be your life, just depending on uh, what it is. Like remember those self-driving or not the self-driving cars? The uh, they were able to hack into the manual-driven cars mm-hmm. and just turn the brakes on and things like that. It's like you, you don't really know what's going to happen until someone starts researching it and, and figures it out. And it's like, oh well. Glad that was never exploited before, but that was <laughs> that was not good. So it's definitely concerning. And thank you for doing that, Devin. I'm gonna I'm gonna roll with ignorance is bliss. And if anything <laughs> really comes up, just let me know, man. I'm I'm gonna definitely. I'm gonna keep it keep it in the back of my mind, but try not to pay attention. So I just gotta ask. We're we're being a little bit, um, you know, it's definitely conversations not quite going the exact way, but TikTok. Mm-hmm. What do we got? Is it actually leaving? Is it actually that bad? Like, like talk to me a little bit. I don't know. I'm confused. Sure. Uh, first part of that is it actually leaving? I don't think so. Doesn't last, look like I, it. last I heard that as of this morning, actually, Microsoft is in very serious talks to buy it. That of course has to be approved, kind of by the U.S. government, and then the TikTok actual the owners bite dance and go through that whole process. So, but it seems like they're making headway there. Is it actually that bad? It definitely has the potential to be. Huh. Um, and it's it's just when you think about something, you're loading something onto everyone. At this point, TikTok, I don't know how many millions of people, all these people's phones, uh, you don't quite know what it does. And there have been ex- potentially exploited vulnerabilities with TikTok and information that they have reported to have been collecting that they shouldn't have that was supposedly patched and, and things like that. Um, is that exclusive TikTok? No. I was going to say, is this different than any of the other social medias? We know Google knows my credit card. You know, I I type in three numbers and they're like, all right, here you go. You can buy anything on planet Earth. It's like, I mean, at this point, I feel like they all have all of it anyway. So what the hell is the difference? Pretty much. I think the difference with TikTok uh, is is very political. It's who owns the data. And obviously, this is a foreign company with large size to a foreign government. They're in foreign soil. Their developers are in foreign soil. So American ability to kind of police that is very limited. So that became a very political issue, but kind of inherently to it. Is it really different than, I don't know, if all these large companies that collect all of our data or really if just kind of some kid in his basement made a super hot app that gave it that, I don't know what the app does, but it's fun. And at the same time, has permissions to clean your passwords off your device. Mm-hmm. Now that kid has all your information as well. So is it inherently different now it but politically it is of course just a concern because it is another government 
That makes sense. That may, I was going to say like, well, how different is this from the rest of the social media apps that steal all my information anyway? (laughs) I don't have TikTok and I don't plan to, but I have all the other ones. So if they all have it, what the hell's the difference in my mind? Um, so sorry for that little, uh, little, little change there, I guess going back to you and, and working at the NBA, what, how integrated were you into the NBA? Like, were you going to these stadiums? Were you going to the games to kind of see everything firsthand? And, and I guess, like who, like how, how was your team working with the NBA? Or were you guys kind of off to the side a little bit more and just kind of spoke when needed to speak to kind of thing? So we were pretty well. Uh, we went to, uh, so I was in Cambridge. Uh, I went to Harvard at the time. I was, so we went to no big TD deal. Garden. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. Uh, we went to TD Garden. I'm from Long Island, so I was actually I was home at one point. So we went to Barclays. So we went to some of the, which are obviously two large, very large sports arenas at this point. So we went there. The NBA staff was amazing, uh, and I'd like to shout all the entire security staff out. I won't start doing names because that's how you miss people and get in trouble. But they were all incredible. They really did make it did make me feel like I was part of the team, and like they spent a lot of time working with me, connecting me with other people. Uh, setting up phone calls for me with other people, just so, so much time. And of course they have a real job to do. Uh, it's NBA. They're coming up on playoffs. They have a lot of stuff that they're worried about. And it was, it was just an incredible experience. That's amazing, dude. And, and shout out to all those people. I'm sure exactly you're right. If you start naming people, you're going to forget someone. So let's not yep. even bother there. So after working at the NBA for a few months, you then go and start doing cybersecurity at Nike. Um, so, to get that job, was the, were there any connections from the NBA that led you to Nike, or was this completely separate? And they just said, "Oh, you worked with the NBA. It's probably a uh, a pretty good thing to have on your resume." I'm sure. <laughs> uh, this was very separate. So I accepted the job for Nike uh, sometime around, I want to say February ish that year, uh, late winter, spring time frame. Mm-hmm. I accepted the job with the NBA uh, thereafter. It was meant to be kind of oh, just okay. a contract job. Uh, do some. You know, Work with the NBA. It was like, I'm graduating college and this is kind of the best possible way to go out, right? Uh, so I knew I was going to Nike already. And then I, my start date for Nike wasn't until later in the summer. So things actually just kind of turned out kind of nicely, timing-wise. And I went to Nike and, and exactly, I was able to bring that experience with the NBA. And it was, it's, not only is it great learnings, but it's something cool to talk about. It's, it's Nike. People love sports. People love the NBA. People love basketball. It is 100% true, man. I mean, Nike is globally known as one of the biggest, best companies in the world. I mean, they do so much uh, in terms of, of products and athletes and sports. And obviously, everyone's going to know them. And some people obviously have their allegiances, but you work there. You're even still repping it now that you're yeah. not working there too much any longer. But I guess what so what at the NBA, it looked like it was more of a physical like, hey, what can happen on premise at Nike? I mean, they don't really own any stadiums or anything so what exactly does cybersecurity look from the nike end compared to what you're doing over at the nba yeah so as you mentioned the nba was largely physical uh, kind of it was meant to be the the bridge between what happens when a cyber attack has physical ramifications okay whereas nike what i was doing is very much digital uh, about just data security data protection networking things like that uh so my actual job title was cloud security and automation engineer. So I was coding a lot. That's code for I was coding. Um, Doing a lot of coding, things around cloud infrastructure, around uh, 
general data protection, cybersecurity, uh, and a lot of just one-off things. Because we were part of the automation team, if networking needs something or identity access management needs something, we hop in on that too. So a little bit all over the place, but kind of as you're alluding, it was very much about securing Nike's data, Nike's networks. Um, I personally didn't work on .com, but just kind of like the website. Think about if, if Nike.com goes down, that's, of course, a disaster. So mm-hmm. things like that. That's a couple million dollar disaster, if not more, I could only imagine. And yes, with all the proprietary information, with all the information with athletes and and sites and everything that's involved with teams and leagues, I could see needing a pretty good team uh, of cybersecurity because I'm (laughs) sure people are are trying to get in. And I guess, how how do you know if people like, do you? Like again, I feel like it's not just like a notification that comes on your phone. It's like, hey, someone's trying to get into Nike right Mm -hmm. now. Like, how how do you? How do you prevent something if you don't know exactly where it's going to come from or how it's going to happen? Does that does that make sense? No, it definitely makes sense. So in a perfect world, that would be the goal. That yeah, right. your phone lights up, it's like, hey, look, watch out. Trying to... Yes, exactly. Right. Um, so it's a lot of trying to set that up, trying to say, okay, we know someone could try to attack our system in XYZ way. So we're going to, one, try and stop it, and two, set some sort of logging around what they tried to do. And three, if someone gets into this part of the system from some sort of unrecognized device or computer or whatever it is, there should be a notification at the least. Um, Ideally kind of isolate that device and shut that down. Uh, But that is the inherent challenge of cybersecurity is that you're always trying to be one step ahead of people when you don't really know where the road is. And in many ways, they only have to be right once, right? If If a company gets hacked one good time, then they can kind of get the keys to the kingdom. And depending on what you have kind of stored where, that could be billions of dollars worth of information. Whereas when you work in security, you have to try and be right all the time. Uh, So a lot of that comes down to just researching things that that can happen, working with partners. Um, There's tons of cybersecurity companies out there right now. When you start going to the cloud, the actual cloud providers spend a lot of time helping companies with their cybersecurity, and they put a lot of money into it. So those types of things are very helpful, but it really is just a constant cat and mouse game. Yeah, man, I can only imagine. Um, I mean, you you must have just been stressed out to shit like <laughs> all times, right? Like you're you're essentially trying to figure out, like you're trying to hack your own system to see where it could come, somebody else could come through, and now you're trying to block that and patch that hole up while just continuously looking for other holes. I mean, like, what is your stress level at work? I mean, again, working for a company like Nike or the NBA, where it's even the physical opportunities or the physical presence. I mean, were you just like pulling your hair out on a daily basis at that point? It's it's weird. You you look at Nike and, and specifically cybersecurity, it's like, this could all go so bad if just, you know, if, if we have one bad day, it's it's terrible, right? Our goal is to kind of stay out of the news, stay hidden, make sure no one's looking for us. Uh, that is stressful in of itself, but somehow they create such a fun work environment, even within cybersecurity. I think it's largely due to their hiring. Um, I will shout out HR. They do a great job hiring just cool, fun people. So that even though the job itself is very intense, very demanding, they have, people people are fun. They keep they keep a good work life balance. They're they're down to just have a good time. People are smiling at work, things like that. That really just takes a lot of that added pressure off. Um, I think if I came to work every day and people were like, all right, so, you know, we need to stop X, Y, Z, or we're going to lose a billion dollars this quarter. It'd be like, oh, 
Okay. <laughs> like, yeah. sorry, I'll get right on that. Like, uh-huh. sorry. <laughs> uh, but no, people are like, Hey, how are you doing? Like, how's your day? People are just, just good people. That's awesome, man. Yeah. We're, working with good people definitely helps uh, work environments are a real thing. And, and, you know, you see it all the time. So I think that part's pretty important. And the one thing that I think is really cool about your story again is, you know, on this show specifically, I like to talk to people in the world of sports business and I've never had the opportunity to talk to somebody in cybersecurity before, just in general. Um, now we can throw in the fact that you're working cybersecurity at Nike. So I always want people to remember just you can do anything in the world of sports. Like it does not matter. As you said, you grew up loving them. You've been playing them. It's competition. It's fun. It brings you and your family together. And oh, by the way, you can go work for Nike. You can mm-hmm. work for the NBA and do whatever you're really good at, which sounds like it's cybersecurity and entrepreneurship, which we'll get to in a minute. So, I mean, what was that always kind of the goal was to work in sports in some capacity or did it just thankfully happen like that? And you were able to say, wow, I, I love this aspect. Like I can still meet these athletes and go to these games and see these teams. Like how much cooler does it make cybersecurity that you're doing it for a sports company rather than, you know, just like a pharmaceutical company or right. a consumer package, good company that'll send you some like protein. <laughs> yeah. I definitely fell into it. Uh, a lot of the internships I did in college were more pure technology, kind of the big tech companies and which is great, a great experience. You learn a ton surrounded by brilliant people. Uh, will not knock that in the least. It was just for me, I wanted to get to something that's more kind of business focused, more uh, consumer focused as well. So that that's something I, I was just, as I was leaving college, I was interested more in just, how do you build a business that is not just a pure technology company? Uh, you look at, mm-hmm. you know, Google, right? All their businesses and ads, which is cool, uh, but just not something that, that interested me at the time. So the Nike opportunity came up and it was like, this is incredible. This is a consumer facing business. It's a smaller cybersecurity team, so there's an opportunity to just learn a ton. But, I mean, it's Nike, right? <laughs> Watch sports, be around sports, be around all these athletes, and just that type of fun experience. Kind of like you mentioned, the fact that you can take a skill set that is not inherently in sports and apply that to sports is just, I, I mean, it's the sports lover's dream, right? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I think those opportunities are just opening up so much. All these sports teams... When it, looks, when it comes to technology, they're getting deeper into analytics, into security, uh, into just newer innovation, just all those types of things. Uh, I mean, if you have a degree in finance, right, you can go, they have someone has to count the money. Mm-hmm. So there, there's tons of just opportunities there. And I would definitely recommend anyone listening to this to, if you find yourself that you have a passion and it's not necessarily what you think is in sports, you, there's, there is a path for that somewhere. Uh, even if you go be a doctor, I mean, obviously sports medicine, if you're some sort of chemical engineer, there are people engineering all these different drinks that these athletes have all this different stuff. There's a lot of work that goes into it. So uh, just explore your opportunities and it's fun. It's, it's most fun. importantly, it is so fun. Exactly. I mean, you and I, when we spoke before, uh, you know, for the pre-interview call a little bit, you were telling me like the opportunity to meet all these athletes and go to these games and, and see the keynote speeches from some of these incredible people uh, share with everybody else listening out there, just like some of the opportunities that come with, you know, being able to work at Nike, mm-hmm. no matter the capacity. And again, yours is, you know, making sure they don't lose billions and billions of dollars, which I think is pretty noble. In itself. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure they really, really appreciated you guys on that team as well. Definitely. I, Nike overall, they do an amazing job with their programming and bringing athletes in uh, LeBron James is there quite a bit and he'll do large events um mbappe was there while i was there um so many people simone biles was there 
trying to think. Um, there's a lot of athletes just running around also yeah. because Nike they they bring them in. So when, mm-hmm. when Nike say doing I don't know signature line or maybe Serena's getting ready for the for the U.S. Open or whatever it is, a lot of times they'll, they'll come in uh, and and they'll just be there. Zion was there when I was there. Uh, huge sign, of course. And so these athletes are around a lot of times they'll host events they'll, they like lebron played kickball with a bunch of people like they, like they're they're there and they're accessible which is so cool they brought in susan rice also which is amazing she was obama's national security advisor who is someone who's a sports fan and obviously she doesn't really work in sports but she's a sports fan and she's an incredibly accomplished individual at this point so she came in and she spoke she spoke about her new book and we were able to go it's things like that that are amazing they have Opportunities to go to Blazers games, opportunities to go to uh, Portland Thorns games, uh, just all kinds of things <laughs> that that kind of anything that you think that Nike does, whether it's just kind of clothing giveaways, that mm-hmm. type of stuff, they do it. That's and awesome, man. It's that, makes it, that makes it so much more enjoyable, right? Again, you're not just working for some tech company, as you said, that's just only focused on the technology side. You're not working for some pharma company. Mm-hmm. You get the added benefit of being able to be around athletes and play kickball. I know it doesn't sound like you did, but play, potentially but, play kickball with LeBron James. Like how, yep. <laughs> uh, what type of the companies you have to work with uh, in that capacity is it, it's a very small, small number of people uh, or a number of companies that will allow you to do something like that. And you were, uh, you were you worked very hard and you got and deserved the opportunity to work with Nike. But your time at Nike, um, obviously, you enjoyed your job. You had a lot of fun with that. But at some point along the way, you and your good friend Brad, you had to have a conversation. And somehow in this conversation, you came up with this really really cool idea for a business. You then started to create it, and now you're going through and and you actually have recently left your spot at Nike to take this on full time. So tell us a little bit about Prediction Strike and tell us about those initial conversations on like you know this actually could kind of work like let's see mm-hmm. let's try and check this out see what happens sure so to begin with prediction strike is a fancy sports stock market what does that mean that means you can buy and sell shares of your favorite players uh and the, the share prices move based on the price or sorry based on the performance of those players so how they actually do in the games now this is one of my favorite stories ever actually just had we come up with it and just kind of what was the what was the ride like up to this point so Brad and I have been best friends for like ever. Uh, we went to elementary, middle, and high school together, and we didn't go to college together, but we stayed just close in touch. We worked on a few startups in college that honestly never really went anywhere, but we learned a ton and had a good time. So Brad and I, we just talk about sports a lot. We talk about stocks a lot. Those are just things we were interested in. And so it didn't honestly just come to us to be like, okay, let's just combine the two and mm-hmm. it'll be fun. In 2018, uh, I want to say it was May, it was definitely spring, the Supreme Court started opening the door for states to legalize sports betting. So Brad and I started talking about, okay, well, why don't we bet? What we essentially said was that it's too risky. Kind of, if you look at the numbers, you're theoretically going to lose your money. Uh, That's how casinos make money. And and we said, well, we're not particularly confident in our kind of sports betting, handicapping ability to start uh, spending the money to get good at it, (laughs) right? So... We didn't do that. Um, and so we're just kind of like, you know, what can we do in this space? Maybe this would be fun. I don't, I don't know. There's got to be something here, whatever. Table that conversation. The NBA finals are, are at least late into the NBA playoffs roll around that year. And Brad and I are just talking and we're talking about the stock market. The stock market's dipping for whatever reason at this time. And Brad's like, look, I just wish I could put my money in LeBron. And we're like, oh, wait, 
Wait a second. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what does that what does that look like? So that's how we even got here. And so that's how we got to this performance-based fantasy sports stock market. Like, what if you could put your money in LeBron? What is, what does that look like? What does that feel like? Uh what does that you know, what does that feel like for you? If you're kind of a, a stakeholder in LeBron James's performance, which is different than just being a, a fan or or maybe a at the time a, I guess you would have been a Cavs fan, now a Lakers fan, or maybe you're just a Braun fan. Like what it, what does that look like? But also what does that look like when you have money in on it? Mm-hmm. And, and that's that's the goal right now. I love it, man. I just think it is so cool kind of how again, like the opportunity and the idea it's so true like i kind of wish i could just put my money in lebron even what 17 years into his career whatever the hell the number is now i'm still taking him we all just watched that you know missed shot rebound put back defensive yep. playing had in like like a 30 second span like that was awesome there's vintage lebron right there and again he's 17 whatever years in we know mm-hmm. he's playing for a couple more years because he's waiting for his son which i think is kind of cool so yep. we'll see what happens there but I don't know, man. I, I think it's such a cool concept. So explain a little bit on kind of how it works. Like how, how exactly do the stocks go up and down? How exactly do people, and this is real money. Like I would put a hundred dollars into the market. I would buy shares of whomever. And if they do well, right, the money goes up. And if not, they go down. I can take out when I want. I can sell when I want. This is not like, you know, some of these other games that are just for a game. This isn't just for, you know, a, a specific period of time. This is a legitimate market. Um, so just yes. explain exactly how the, the dips happen, as you said, you know, so we don't really know how the stock market works. If someone tells <laughs> you they're probably friggin' lying. So that's another thing. <laughs> yeah. Like how exactly do the stocks in this stock market work? Sure. So let's take the LeBron James example. You, you take your you take your money, you put your hundred dollars in LeBron James, now you have some shares of LeBron James. LeBron is gonna have a fantasy expectation for his next game. For argument's sake, it's forty fantasy points. Now, if LeBron James scores 41-plus fantasy points, share price will go up. He scores 39 minus, share price will go down. Pretty simple. Um, and just kind of, of course, the, the, the gravity at which they either overperform or underperform will, will affect the stock market that way. But in general, that, that's just how it works. You take the share price, and they're, they're going to have an expectation. Depends on how they do versus that expectation. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, so you can legitimately have day traders in LeBron James, right? If you don't think he's going to do that well against the Clippers, you could sell some of your shares when it goes down. You buy it back because you think he's going to do well against the Raptors, right? Like, yep. I think that part is cool. And then you can have the people, you know, I'm a little bit more of a buy and hold kind of guy. Give me some Apple. Give me some J and J. I'll ride that out for the next 50 mm-hmm. years. Like, I'll just kind of let that continue to go up, up, up and up. So how in terms of that, like, so do you guys... Like how, who, where does the money go? Like, exa- I've, you know, we don't, again, we don't really know how the stock market works. So you right. guys are creating your own stock market. Like when someone buys shares in LeBron James, like what do you and Brad then do? Is there, there a bank account somewhere? Is this some offshore, you know, I'm kidding. <laughs> like how exactly does that aspect of where the hell does this money go? Yeah. So it's sitting in, we have, of course, we're in a corp, we're corporations, so we have banks, bank accounts. Uh, we hold everyone's money in a bank account. and it's like you said, we don't really know where the stock market is or mm-hmm. there are very few people who, who kind of know what's going on there. Uh, yeah. We, we just hold, hold your money in kind of a bank account registered to prediction strike. And that's how we move the money around. If you want to, if you say your cash, you sell all your shares, you, you decide to cash out, you get paid out right from there. Mm-hmm. T minus three, like the regular stock market, right? No. Um, <laughs> and so with, with that, I guess like the cybersecurity shit comes in handy, huh? <laughs> because now you have all these people's money in your bank account. I'm sure you have that stuff pretty locked down on your end. 
Yes, that was one of the biggest and first concerns, making sure credit card information, uh, trade integrity also, just making sure mm-hmm. that we didn't have, I don't know, a situation where we lost 100 trades that someone conducted. And now they're like, either where's my money or mm-hmm. I have all this money I shouldn't, just whatever it might be. Uh, huge concerns. And then, of course, credit card information. Just where is, like, did we only take out the amount that you wanted? Did, uh, is that bank account, like you said, is that account locked down? All that type of stuff has been just a paramount importance to us. Yes, and uh, thankfully, again, you you have that stuff on lock. Considering if you if uh, the NBA and Nike were were cool with you doing it, I'm, I'm <laughs> sure all the people that are on Prediction Strike right now and more and more people. Um, so is this considered a fantasy sport? Is this considered gambling? Where like is there is this like a weird gray area? Because I don't, it doesn't really sound like either, right? Like I, I feel like it would right. lean a little more towards gambling, but but because you use the fantasy point aspect, like how how does this actually like what is this classified as? Legally, it'd be daily fantasy sports. It's um, okay. largely just, like you mentioned, we're using the fantasy sports aspect. It's based on the player performance. Uh, you can create portfolios of a ton of players that just kind of match up with each other. And uh, largely, it's also a game of skill. So you have to really be able to say, okay, I think LeBron is going to fall out either tonight or just in general over the next week or kind of whatever it is. And so that's the game of skill part is a big delineation between straight-up gambling, and daily fantasy sports. And I would say, um, you know, I, I play a little daily fantasy sports, work with a company that does it. How much skill, how much is it, you know, I put in 150 lineups, you know, right? Like, that. that's, I mm-hmm. think, one of the pieces of it that, that a lot of people do get angry when it comes to, like, the DraftKings and the FanDuels of the world is, yes, it's kind of, it is a game of skill, don't get me wrong. You have to know what you're doing. You can't, you know, very, it's not very easy to just randomly throw some stuff out there. Right. But this sounds like it's more, you know, you against the house rather than me going in and taking a bunch of other people's money because I have more tools and opportunities and I'm working with a smarter team. Right. So I think that that's really, really impressive, too. And the fact that these stocks in athletes go up and they go down based on how well they did is, is just such a cool way of doing it. Now, I know I, I spoke with Brad and I, I want to bring this up again because, again, I'm sure not everybody listened to that episode. And I hope even more people do after they listen to this one. But when when a player retires when rookies come into the market like how do you set prices on something that again because it's based on fantasy points zion's gonna have zero fantasy points right like you can't really base that on anything so how do you go and understand like okay i want you know zion you know i want to buy his shares how do you guys as a market fairly set that price so it's not just, you know, everybody can go in and buy a thousand shares of Zion. Yep. <laughs> that's incredible. Scores, what, 25 points in like 10 straight games or whatever. Smashes all that. And you got, they sell and you guys lose your ass. <laughs> Definitely. So we actually tried multiple ways for this. Uh, this was a big question mark we had kind of between ourselves, Brad and I, kind of our, our close friends, some of which help out on the platform. And just, okay, how do we set this initial price? So there were two kind of, uh, leading thoughts. One was that every, every player would come in at the same price, say $1, and the share price would move kind of based on performance thereafter. The second was that a player would, st- would start based upon where their projections were for the total season. So say a, pr- a player was projected to score, uh, I don't know, just as many points as LeBron this season as a rookie for whatever reason, I don't know. Uh, they would start at, say, $10. 
um, or kind of well, thereabouts yeah. where LeBron is, right? What happened was we tried both, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. We tried the dollar, uh, the one dollar for every player for the NBA rookies that started playing um, kind of this past season. Mm-hmm. And that was not very popular because everyone came out. It just didn't feel intuitive. Like, mm-hmm. why is Zion Williamson the same as I don't even know who the last pick in the draft was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so then we, we got to the NFL rookies who were added, uh, I don't know, some months ago. And we said, okay, look, we're going to start all those based on where they're kind of projected to play this year. And that was by far more popular. It mm-hmm. just started making sense to people. Uh, we might we might continue to tweak that a little bit. I don't know if it is just take like a slight discount on rookies or just kind of whatever it might be. We'll, we'll we'll keep playing around with it. But in general, what what seemed to make the most sense for people is start everyone off based on where they're projected to be. And that makes sense, right? Like if you have, I would have bought a million shares of Zion. I would have let him make all that money, like make me all that money, and then you know get out. You know, make take my money back, and then I'm just playing my house's money at that point, right? right? <laughs> Um, no, man. And I just think it's such a cool concept how you guys came up with it and what you're doing with it. And I guess what are like, what are some of the successes that you guys have seen so far? The company's only been around for, you know, a little, a short while now, obviously over the last couple months, you haven't really been able to do much. As you said, you added the NFL rookies, which is kind of cool. So you got some wide receivers, your little Joe Burrow, like that's kind of mm-hmm. fun. But I mean, like what, like what have what have some of the successes been, I guess, before that, you know, before, you know, the pandemic and sports shutdown. And now with sports being back for the last couple of days, I mean, I think legitimately like three days or four days for what you guys could you do NBA and NFL. Right. So yes. what, 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 what was the beforehand, like how excited and, and how much success were you guys having before, you know, this shutdown unfortunately came? I mean, the beforehand things were great. <laughs> it was like, we are rolling uh, we had set a bunch of projections for where we want to be by the end of the year. We're on pace to double all of those. Uh, the end of the year, which we defined as the end of that NBA season, which would have been June. Yeah. So we were on pace to double all those. Uh, we were like, this is perfect. Uh, user growth. Um, we we're growing users. Like, I think we had grown. We're on pace to grow a thousand percent from where we were in September of that year, something like that. Like we were just fired up. Uh, the pandemic hit, and we were kind of like, okay, so now what? <laughs> um, and at first, we we're like, okay, is this kind of like, I mean, the panic did set in for, for a second. It's like, is this like the collapse of everything? Is everyone just going to be like, okay, we don't care? Like, go, you know, go pound sand or whatever. I don't know. And it turned out like, no, didn't really happen. We started seeing. People trade based on NFL trade news. Uh, people started gearing up kind of as it ma- as it became clear that NBA was definitely going to come back. People were trading based on that. And that was very exciting and very good for us to see. It was just like, okay, we were main top of mind for people. People still believe in this. People uh, are excited for it to come back, for sports to come back. And, and everyone's just kind of waiting. And, we're, and anyways, we were all waiting together, right? I mean – not even from a business point of view, just as yeah. a sports fan, we're all just like, okay, especially there's literally nothing else to do. So yeah, uh, that was kind of the before and after state. And so we took that middle state and really just hit a lot of, hit the ground on a lot of development work. So we're redoing the website. We have an app coming out. We're trying to launch all of that in the fall, but we used the break to really just get all of that designed figure out a lot of just the technologies and things like that behind it. 
and, and start start developing it. And really just got us in a good place to launch in the fall, um, kind of as NFL comes back. So really happy with that and just um, the, the time that we were able to spend doing that and just getting a better platform out there. I think it's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, take advantage of the time uh, that we we had. I mean, now, again, now sports are coming back. And at least, I mean, it's August, which is crazy. So summer's pretty much over, unfortunately. But, you know, I wrote a little book during that time, which was pretty cool. So I'm very grateful that I had. I I mean, you have the time, right? How often are you stuck inside for three months? Like, hopefully not that often, right? (laughs) Right. If you are there, you might as well take advantage of it. So I tried to do a little something with that. But in terms of, I guess, so as you were saying, like certain you know, things were happening during the shutdown. And if your stock prices, these athlete stock prices are based on fantasy points, is there any, like if someone starts selling real hard that, you know, normally a stock would go down. That's just kind of how the the actual market works. The actual stock market works with fantasy points though. You can't really take anything into effect like that. So like how were, were the stock prices just kind of, stagnant did they not move or did you guys try and incorporate a little bit like obviously you can't can't be a heavy heavy dose because then people can literally run the market for you and make all the money that Mm -hmm. they want so how do you kind of walk that fine line of all right well if it's only 1550 and it's just you know they're selling like crazy or buying like crazy and it's still 1550 like how do you kind of make sure that that also doesn't happen because i think both scenarios it's unfortunate obviously but both scenarios kind of suck a little bit right right uh the big thing is we so something I actually should have mentioned earlier. We do have a volume component. Okay. And so, um, what is so? I guess I mean it's really all of this that you're mentioning right now. So you can find this right on our website. But I'll explain the formula. So it takes thirty thousand shares purchased to double the price of a player, and thirty thousand shares sold to have the price of a player. So what does that mean? That means if everyone's buying, the share price does go up. And so just kind of a couple of things. One. It's like, kind of as you're alluding, right? If everyone everyone's buying, something's going on here, so yeah. the share price should go up a little bit. Also, if you're, if you're just a user, you 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 like to see, say, you get in early, like okay, there's some appreciation over here just because I was right first, <laughs> um, right. Uh, or just I was just on it first, like Zion, a uh, great example. Zion, I've seen go up like six percent in twelve hours. Uh, People just love that kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, I and good. As, oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I got to ask, when he had that picture come out with the mask on, he's looking jacked as shit. Like, did his stock price just go immediately up looking like Bane oh, and people, crazy? People so. were definitely buying shares. I don't, I don't have the numbers off the top of my head, but no. yes, people were like, okay, he's Let's the go. future. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it, dude. That is awesome. And I guess like with that, like, so where does that 30,000 number come from? Why is it 30,000 shares to double and 30,000 shares to to cut a price in half? I assume that's a very specific number for a reason. Like, where do you guys get that number from? Yeah, so we started with that number, and it was largely just us plotting out just how volatile do we want the market to be. Okay. Uh, you know, say it was 100 shares, right? The market would be up and down all over the place all day, which is not, mm-hmm. which is kind of yeah. fun in a chaotic way it's not in the yeah. not in the way we want so we said thirty thousand. okay this is kind of a it is you will notice some changes mm-hmm. but it won't just be dominated by these changes we still would love for it to be uh fantasy points driven and have the users see that but we also do w- want them to get some appreciation just for other people coming in after them and, and buying so that's how we chose the thirty thousand number and it's kind of part art part science like we could have made it forty thousand. 
that would have slowed things down a little bit. We could have made it 20,000, made it a little bit faster. It's, it's getting a feel for it. Um, yeah. And we'll, we'll kind of see what happens. And if things need to get adjusted, then that'll kind of happen down the line. Hundred percent. And so with that, um, you were telling, you were saying, talking about Zion, and then I got all off track because he was looking like a monster. A couple oh yeah. Ago. So you said you were, you kind of saw that coming. You said you saw about a six percent change in like a span of twelve hours. Like, do, how many people really jumped on that as jumped on Zion as soon as possible, saying like, "Hey, this is, you know, this is a chunk of my portfolio. This is my, you know, ultra growth stock over the next two to three years because he has that type of potential." Hmm. Zion, so as you remember, Zion was making a late debut mm-hmm. and it was kind of well publicized and whatever. And it was, it, it was, it was a hype train, right? Like Zion's coming back in seven days, six days, whatever. Zion's coming back tonight. So in the 24 hours kind of surrounding the Zion return was our largest one day of user signups. Let's go. Uh, and it was also our, I believe we had the most number of deposits. I don't believe it was the most in, in dollar amount, but I believe it was mm-hmm. the most number. And most of those people, where were they going? Right to Zion. <laughs> people, uh, it was, Zion was like a pull factor for someone to sign up for the platform. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's too many athletes you really see that about. I mean, especially there was also just, what is what is he actually going to do? Like we haven't even seen it. I think you can do something like that with a, with these other athletes who have become larger than life, your LeBron's, your Steph Curry's, like if if um, you know if there was like Tom Brady, these these kind of guys that mm-hmm. command a presence, you can use as a pull factor. But Zion was new; it was fun. It was like, what is going to happen? And seeing that just pull people onto the platform, it was one of the most exciting things for us. That is awesome, dude. Yeah, I mean, if you can take advantage and utilize someone like his presence that can then help your business in such a way like that, I mean, that that has got to be so cool. And you and Brad must have just been jumping up and down for joy for that. Oh, day. yes. <laughs> I think that's so awesome. So again, in terms of this market, how, and I'm pretty confident I asked Brad all these questions, but I don't remember the answers. So I get to do this no again, problem. which is I'm very excited for. Injuries, right? Like injuries, you should, like, is there does a stock drop because a player gets hurt for an entire year? Obviously, again, it's attached to fantasy points, but people can then go ahead and sell that stock. So there's some volume component, but does a, you know, you know, an, a, a 12 month long or an eight month long ACL tear understanding that they're coming back, probably not as the same player, potentially not as the same player. Does that do anything immediately? Or do you guys just kind of let the market, if they want to trade it, they trade it. If not, you know, they just hold, hold and, you know, sit and wait. Right. What you would see immediately would be if that player got injured in game. So if they got injured in game, they're probably going to miss their expectations for that game. And then their share price would most likely drop after that. And then afterwards, you'll probably see a bunch of people selling, um, which will most likely drop the price. Then you might even see some people come back the other way and say, well, depending on the length of the injury, Mm -hmm. uh, come back the other way and say, okay, I think they're going to be under projected for their return. Let me buy a bunch of shares. And that might send the price up a little bit. A uh, good example of that, not an injury, but Antonio Brown, a uh, series of off-field incidents, <laughs> to put it mildly. Great way to say it, man. <laughs> that uh, he was kind of in and out of the league. I mean, he's still even in and out of the league. Mm-hmm. He was he's retired, but he was just suspended. I, I don't yeah, know. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah, nut job. Yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. <laughs> so, But in the kind of – that was this past year, kind of in the course of that up and down roller coaster with is he playing is he not there was a lot of uh 
buying kind of on the way because I mean he is an elite talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, selling as he's leaving uh, Oakland, buying again. <laughs> he's going to the Pats. Selling, he, he's uh, leaving. Then buying again because people thought he was going to Seattle at the time, or mm-hmm. I believe it was Seattle. Buying again, made it clear that wasn't going to happen. Selling again. So see a lot of that up and down type action. And there, there's kind of the same thing with injuries. Uh, that was just one of the biggest clear-cut examples because there were like three three actions of yep. rising and falling in like six weeks. Um, but injuries is, is much the same. So yeah. someone like, you know, we really don't know how, how some of these guys are going to come back. Like we know KD is still going to be automatic as a shooter, what's his dribbling going to be like mm-hmm. clay too. Um, even though clay will score 60 points on 10 dribbles, like what, like how does that actually affect what people are thinking about? It's hard to tell, but it's definitely fun to watch. Oh my goodness. I can only imagine just kind of, you know, you guys being able to see public perception and in, in real reality, right? Like public perception is one thing, public perception with money on the line is a lot different, I believe. And, and seeing mm-hmm. how people really feel about something uh, when their dollar amount is, uh, you know, they have a dollar amount attached to it. So just two more, two more quick things uh, before I let you go, Devin, which has absolutely been fantastic. Devin Hurt of Prediction Strike co-founder and CEO with COVID. Obviously we are starting to see a lot of, you know, obviously you had that layoff for the NBA. Now, as I said, the uh, NFL is coming back in about six Sundays, which is pretty fantastic as a recording. Some of these players are now starting to drop out uh, or opt out, not drop out. That's a stupid way to say it. Um, You know, they have health concerns. They're worried for their family. Totally understand mm-hmm. that. You know, obviously you got to do what you got to do, man. We don't really know what the hell's going on anyway. So if you're unsure, you know, just get out when you can. So with that, you know, someone like Damian Williams, you know, he opts out, uh, you know, wins his Super Bowl. Shout out to, you know, as everyone knows, playoff Damian, as Joe Buck said. And, yep. you know, we have him opt out. And you have the rookie, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, in there. So as you said, you had some, you already put some prices on the market for uh, the rookies that were coming in. I'm sure his was very high because he's a part of this potent offense, but he also had another running back he was going to share the field with. Do you then go and adjust his price based on his projections now? Or because it was set, it's just, hey, this is what it was, and now we have new information, and... If you bought early, you look real good because this dude's probably going to be, you know, we thought he was going to be a stud, but now it's his backfield. Now it's going to be his fun with Patrick mm-hmm. Mahomes and he's going to do it all. Like how, how did you then see the market react to that type of news? And did you guys try and go into like, I guess, you know, adjust for that at all? It's really the latter component of what you were saying. We didn't adjust the price. Uh, we didn't want to be kind of this heavy handed market making okay. force. So, it, it really is. Look, if you if you bought in kind of draft day, um, and and now it's like you said, it's his backfield. It's he he's the number one guy up. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> You're killing it. Um, so we're definitely seeing a lot of trades just around the op- players opting out uh, and players who. Uh, what uh, what I'm really interested in, kind of along these lines, is how the market will react to players who get coronavirus. Uh, either mm. preseason, during the season, yep. whatever it is, and they're they're supposed to be coming back. Um, the spectrum of how healthy people are as they're coming back is kind of all over the place. Uh, I remember, I want to say it was weeks ago. Uh, Rudy Gobert said he's still not one hundred percent; still doesn't mm-hmm. have all his senses back. Uh, I saw that Red Sox pitcher just yep. uh, he, he couldn't get medically cleared, um, 
and and just kind of in reality, baseball is the least physical of kind of of the major sports we're talking about yeah. coming back. And he wasn't able to get clear. So what does that look like when you start getting into football, <laughs> uh, basketball? I I don't know. So that'll be really interesting to see, and it's, it's just something to watch. Um, and especially as you mentioned, we don't we just don't have a lot of clarity around what the disease can do. Uh, it might even we might even see a situation where okay, look, people the players who opt out people start buying them for next year because Mm -hmm. they theoretically are coming in completely healthy Um, or, or, and also just taking a year off on your body. You're very healthy. So. Yeah, it's definitely, it's, it's, it's an interesting, obviously, again, I'm, I'm not a virologist. I don't really know how the hell any of this stuff works. Hopefully everyone out there is safe and healthy. And if you do catch it, it's one of the more mild cases, of course, especially in the world of sports. And the last question I have is with players retiring, how how exactly does that work? When a player retires, does that stock, you know, whatever it's at, you just get that cash thrown to your bank account and it's done and that's the end of the game for that stock and then you can kind of just go ride some other stuff? Like, is that is it that simple, I guess? Essentially, uh, we've been leaving the stocks up there when players retire um, just because, if look, if you just want the cool factor of being mm-hmm. invested in certain players, uh, we'll just leave it up there for you. But in general, like you, you can just kind of sell the player and go on about your business. Uh, especially at this point, retire uh, retirings are so public, yeah, that you kind of know it's coming. So look, if you're you're able to make an informed decision no matter what. So like I said, if you just want to have the cool factor of having I don't know Vince Carter because he was your hero in your portfolio, do it. Like we're not going to stop you from that. I mean, part of this this was all born out of like, mm-hmm. like Brad said he wants to put his money in LeBron. So why should there really be an end date on, on when you can have your money in LeBron? Like Absolutely. When, how cool would it be to say you were there in 2018 when this was founded and like, yeah, I had my money in LeBron for the last 10 years and I'm happy with that. Yeah. Right. I'm still happy with it. He's been retired for three, but I'm still, yeah. still a very good investment. And uh, no, man, as you said, you know, um, Antonio Brown's retired like six times in the last like five weeks, it feels like. So you really can't take him off the market yet because you actually don't know what the hell is there. So I think that part's pretty important too. But Devin, this has been absolutely incredible. Devin Hurt, co-founder and CEO of Prediction Strike, formerly working with the NBA and Nike. And oh, by the way, graduated from Harvard. Um, and I, I, I do want to just say one last thing. It was really a really great way of you saying, you know, Brad and I went to grade school, middle school, high school, but you know, we ended up not going to college together because you went to Harvard. Shout out to <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Of course, Brad's a smart dude too, obviously, but Most definitely. Devin, really appreciate your time today, man. Thank you. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you, everyone. It's been great. Yes.